Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of Talking Smack, where we talk superheroes, movies, animation, and comics. I am your host, Josh Scar, and we have another triple threat this week, where I am joined by two co-hosts. Coming in first, we have Matt. Matt, welcome back. What's up? Glad to be here. And in the other corner, we have Alex. Alex, how you been? Doing pretty well, just, you know, managing that, those social media accounts and hiding from our fans. <laughs> I, I love that you you claim that you manage the social media account, even though, again, I am like the voice of the social media account, but you, you're you the news side of it. But yes, I guess in a way you are the voice. He's got nothing. I don't. I literally <laughs> just muted myself to cough. <laughs> he gets choked up when he gets challenged on his authority. Listen, I know the passwords. Leave me alone. <laughs> So this week, we are going to be giving a progress report on the MCU edition of Spider-Man. And basically, we're going to just discuss how Tom Holland's Spider-Man, how we feel about his introduction, how we feel about how he's progressed. There's some like minor fan controversy about him being Iron Boy and stuff like that. This is something I've been brewing in my mind cauldron for a while. I know that's a weird thing to say, but... I said it. Now it's now it's locked in forever. So. You can't unsay it. <laughs> exactly. So like I have an editing option. Uh, so yeah, Spider-Man in the MCU. Tom Holland cast as Spider-Man back in 2015, debuted in Captain America Civil War in 2016. I really enjoy Tom Holland. I think he is the best balance that we have had between our three live action Spider-Man in the modern era. And I think that his Peter Parker is really good. His Spider-Man is quippy, but not too quippy. But there are some flaws that we will get into. But what are your guys' initial impressions? Uh, Matt, you can go first. Yeah, I think I mostly agree. He sometimes is a little bit too much of a, like, kind of soft marshmallow boy for my tastes, which is, like, sounds completely toxic, I'm aware as I'm saying it. But, like, I don't mean it like that. It's just, like, sometimes... He's just a little bit like, oh, gee, Mr. Stark, that doesn't totally click with me. I think when we get into the criticisms, I, I, I agree with that. Um, I don't know if I would have put it as a marshmallow boy, but when we get into the criticisms, I, I will have a little bit more to expand on that. Yeah, I yeah. Like I said, that sounded like way more toxic masculinity than I intended when I, <laughs> when I was trying to say it. That is not what I'm going for at all. It's just... Uh, just the words that spilled out, you know, obviously it's okay that men are marshmallow boys sometimes. Uh, Alex, how, how was your initial impression of Tom Holland and uh, between like civil war and homecoming? He came out as the most youthful of them that, which is not necessarily a bad thing. Literally he was what 18 when he filmed the first, uh, when he filmed the, his first part. And I like that he actually isn't earnestly youthful Peter Parker and Spider-Man. He is just starting out in his career. He gets this major boost. And I like that he does seem like he's a teenager way in over his head. Um, having rewatched re- um, Spider-Man 1 and 2 recently, Toby never looked young, but he has that earnestness and that like downtrodden feeling that I really, really dig, um, which shaped my perception of Spider-Man in film. But uh, Tom Holland really seems like an overwhelmed uh, kid. And I think that his youthfulness really helped that. So when he first came in and he's like, has this really, really badly homemade tie dyed sprayed, like with welding goggles 
and you know like oh you're gonna give me uh, you're gonna help me out and you're taking me to germany that really worked for me and i really enjoyed that part of his introduction especially when it came to homecoming and that he is being told just kick around the bronx and try to do some good that's that's i think that's actually a really good way to put it i think i think that's basically what i was thrusting towards in a different in a different way because like we watched all of those spider-man movies before we saw it uh, no way home and i love all those movies to some degree or another love is maybe a strong word for some of them actually but the thing about all those movies is that they do the hollywood thing where it's like these are 30 year old men playing high schoolers so it's like you know now as an as an adult you know we saw we saw these movies in theaters when we were in high school and now it's like oh that that guy's not a senior in high school that guy's got a mortgage <laughs> the fact that he he is like you said, like 18 or 20 or something when he's filming those first, that first Civil War movie. And then the, the first Spider-Man movie is like, that does a lot to be like, yeah, this is the guy that started when he was a teenager, even if they're not going through like the origin and him at school a ton, you know? Yeah, those are both really great points. I know when they announced Tom Holland, he was literally in his teens when he was cast as Spider-Man. That was a big deal for me, especially because, especially with uh, Andrew Garfield, he did not look like he was a junior or sophomore going to be a junior in high school he was the guy that needed to start his career as spider-man in college at the very latest if not just skip the origin story in general yeah like with toby at least you need they they were like oh he's a senior and we're only going to worry about this for like 20 minutes of the movie and then he's he's got an apartment exactly that that really burned me out on on the andrew garfield character or andrew garfield spider-man quickly because i just could not buy him as a high school student and with Tom Holland, it was a much different situation. With that, we do have the initial controversy of introducing Spider-Man in the Civil War storyline, which anyone who knows anything about the comics, they know that in the comic story, Spider-Man flip-flops sides. He originally sides with Iron Man because he thinks there's something right about the Accords or whatever, they, the Superhero Registration Act. And then he realizes that, oh, we're imprisoning superheroes who aren't following the law even though they're not necessarily doing something wrong other than disobeying the law so this is wrong and he flips over to cap's side and we never really get that flip-flop and i think uh that's one of the things that i think matt you were kind of alluding to where he's just constantly trying to get tony stark's approval despite never having the full truth from tony and tony also kind of playing both sides of the fence in civil war where he recruits a minor to fight in a fight about registering to be a superhero or a weapon of mass destruction. But Peter never really seems to fall into that category of having to register or suffer repercussions for it. Sort of, yeah. Like, um, I, don't, I don't mind it so much in Civil War, like, at least in that approach. I mean, I, I sort of mind that thing where, like you said, where, oh, he is, Tony Stark is recruiting a child to go across the across the globe and fighting a war quote unquote the thing about civil war the comic that it is that makes that so interesting is like you know for better or worse like spider-man is like the most popular marvel character he's been around forever so like making him that character in the in the in the comic makes a lot of sense it adds weight to it in a way that it doesn't necessarily in civil war so i like i don't mind that his civil war thing there is just like a cameo but the thing where like his primary relationship for a lot of these movies is 
like to Tony Stark um, is a thing that I'm not like that wild about. Um, it's a thing that I, I understand. Like I understand that that's, you know, you, you kind of figured out how to get Spider-Man in your movie and this is how you did it. Basically all the Avengers movies that he's in, two of these three movies are like really largely about the relationship he has to this one guy. And that's one of the things that, you know, I like these movies, but um, that's always been something that's, that has rubbed me the wrong way just a little bit about, you know, the, the, how, the way they've approached Holland in these, in these movies. Yeah, that's actually something, I, that's my biggest criticism of him being in the MCU is that I was so happy last year during Marvel What If, during the Zombies one, where he said Uncle Ben. I'm like, yeah. thank you. <laughs> He's not just, you know, we've been going through... Um, like a rough time, especially with that thing. It's like, yes, we know Uncle Ben's dead and we know your backstory. Thank you. We know that. We don't need to see it again. But you could at least say, I've been going through a rough time since Ben's dead. You know, yeah, May and I are experiencing something. May's moving. I, I don't, even maybe something like with May moving on with Happy, even something along the lines yeah. of, this is the first time I've seen May smile since Uncle Ben. Something like that would help encapsulate that there was a figure in his life other than this random billionaire shows up and gives him by the time far from home comes away literally a trillion dollar enterprise with cruise missiles <laughs> yeah it's a thing that i think like i said i think it makes perfect sense in civil war like you know people know this and you're moving you've got you got a lot to do so you're just like alluding to it and you're moving on but you'd think at some point in any of his own movies there would have been a name drop and it's like not a thing that that breaks the movies for me but it is a thing that irks just a little bit you know where it's like gosh it would be nice if like you just mentioned this just once and even in like the, this most recent movie there are at least one or two opportunities where like someone else literally mentions their uncle ben from an alternate dimension or like some recognition that oh yeah i, I have one of those too i think the closest thing we get to that acknowledgement is in far from home where he you see the the suitcase and it has benjamin middle initial parker bp oh yeah b whatever b bp i don't remember what his middle name is we'll say jefferson benjamin jefferson parker you see that bjp on the the suitcase to your point matt it's spoiler alert for spider-man no way home it's a movie that's now out on video on demand it'll be out on blu-ray a week after this episode drops so Spoiler alert for the biggest movie since Avengers Endgame. Once May dies, it kind of becomes more about May for Tom Holland's Peter, uh, whereas he's already had that transformative moment with Ben. So it really seems redundant to me, especially in No Way Home, that uh, he's having this moment again. But because we've never actually seen it, it still works with his character. You would think that when Peter 2 and Peter 3 are like, it was my uncle Ben. Oh, it was Gwen and uncle Ben. And he'd just be like, Oh yeah, my uncle Ben and now MA, but we never get that. It's one of those things too, where it's just, you could, you could make the argument if you wanted to, because there's no evidence for it on screen that maybe this version of Peter didn't have that moment with uncle Ben, right? Like maybe uncle Ben died before he had the powers or whatever. I'm not wild about that, but I think you could make that argument if you wanted to like you say the aunt may moment in no way home um i keep wanting to say far from home i'm probably gonna mix it up at some point i, I have that same problem i think there's an episode earlier in the year where i say far from home several times when i mean no yep. way home <laughs> so like you say it is like that that sort of becomes his moment for the spider-man 
it isn't and isn't redundant because we haven't seen it. And also we don't know that it necessarily happens. Like it probably did, but it's also because of the way they made the movies, the way they introduced the Spider-Man, which is the smart move. They never did that moment. And then they just never alluded to it because they were doing other things. And they are doing that Spider-Man freshman year or sophomore year or whatever the animated series for Disney plus, which they have said that is the origin story for the MCU Spider-Man. So we'll see what happens with that uncle Ben. Uh, whether it's he dies beforehand or it is still kind of the same thing we'll find out uh probably i think probably not next year maybe 2024 just before they get to the next spider-man movie um or at least his next appearance in the mcu the Aunt may as like as the uncle ben moment thing also feeds into an interesting thing that these movies do where like all three of the of these spider-man movies homecoming far from home no way home all of them end on this moment of like wow he's finally spider-man uh, like every like all three of them and it's such a weird thing that they that they do it in a different way and in a way that mostly works but like you did it in the first one like that's the whole that's the whole point of like peter lifting the big thing off his back like in like in the old comics and then they do that again with in far from home and then they do it here like literally where he like is poor and is wearing the, the, the suit in no way home and it's so weird that they like there's never a point where they feel like they can just let him be Spider-Man until like the last moments of, you know, at the time before when it was being made, possibly what they might've expected to be the last movie. It's very weird. Uh, so with his second batch of adventures, uh, we kind of touched on far from home. I have a weird relationship with that movie because it just Mysterio never really feels like, he's a spider-man villain especially once we find out that he's just a disgruntled stark employee and then one of the things that i've talked with you about matt and i think i've talked with you about it alex uh, that bleeds into no way home is you have nick fury who sends talos and uh talos's wife i can't remember her name uh in his stead to recruit mysterio and spider-man to solve this issue that is being created by mysterio it never feels fully connected for me and then with the whole Edie, what is it, Edie? Even, even dead, I'm still the hero. Edith, Edith. Yeah. Edie is from Mass Effect. It, Far From Home just, yeah, I, I don't know. I It's not the best entry for me. Like I almost have that on the same level as Amazing Spider-Man where it just really feels padded out by trying to build into the world more than it is trying to build onto the character. There are moments in Far From Home that I think really work. Um, the reveal of Mysterio being a bad guy, I actually really dug. I mean, because it did seem like oh, maybe they're going kind of like this side angle. Maybe they're offering a father figure. But he, Mysterio, we know Mysterio is a bad guy. But the reveal and that big 15-minute exposition of them going back and forth is why everybody hates Tony Stark. I actually felt kind of cathartic about it because I was getting tired of the Spider-Man movies being about Tony Stark <laughs> and the MCU being the t all about him, no matter if he's there or not. And so I really dug that, especially, you know, draw, um, drawing back from Iron Man 1, the guy who's getting yelled at for Tony Stark built this in a cave with a pile of rocks and we can't do it. I dug those that moment and I did dig the big battle scene at the end where, where Nick Fury goes, okay now the story is a bunch of bullshit there is no way that this is true these elementals are being pulled from the earth all this is crap and it's all starting to fall apart 
but everything else about the road trip and the drone goggles and the blow up um blow up flash but no don't kill him it just all fell apart for me i'm just this is just throwing crap at the wall and hoping people like it because it's spider-man i like that movie fine um I, I do think it has some of those some of those problems basically like i'm mostly good with the like travel stuff because it's channeling the same energy that like the high school stuff does in homecoming right Where like you know a lot of the backdrop of that movie is like the john hughes sort of vibe and this is doing that same thing but with like the summer adventure movie so that's stuff i like and I, I do think like Jake Gyllenhaal is great in that movie. And, you know, the fight scene with Mysterio is it like in London or something where like they are really doing the, the, the Mysterio thing. And like a lot of the, a lot of the big action set pieces are really, are really solid. Like it's, it's always fun when you have a situation where like Peter Parker or like Bruce Wayne or like some superhero is, has to do the superhero thing, but they don't have their stuff. So like you have him running around just as Peter is always kind of a nice change of pace but it's, it's really weird how the movie like hinges on Tony Stark, who like is kind of a shithead in these movies, but is not like an idiot. You know, it hinges on him gifting, like, like you said, like this trillion dollar like drone system to a kid, <laughs> you know, it's extremely weird. Um, and you need to do that. You need to find a way for that to happen. So like Mysterio can do all his stuff, but it's still super weird. And like Alex was saying, like you were saying, the stuff where the the scene where Team Mysterio like shows themselves is really wonderful, but it is a thing that this and Homecoming have, where Spider Man is incidental to like their issues. They they have their own stuff, but it's rooted in Tony Stark and not Peter Parker, which is not like the biggest sin in the world, but it's just a very weird thing that they did twice <laughs> uh where the the villain is not is not mad at spider-man he's mad at tony stark and then gets mad at spider-man for standing in his way yeah that's one thing that i actually really enjoyed at least about homecoming was it took away that personal touch that uh sony had really been relying on is oh peter needs to be involved in everyone's life for these villains to really have a kick which isn't necessarily true they just need to be believable as villains their motivations need to be understandable and if they're really good they'll be kind of like killmonger and um uh, zemo and from falcon and winter uh, winter soldier uh carly where they're they're not necessarily wrong in their ideologies it's the way they go about it that becomes the problem and i do think the vulture in that first movie is like a way is a way of doing that really well where like even though his beef stems from getting stiff by Tony Stark, the, that movie does do a really good job of like building that relationship so that by the end, it is about Peter and Adrian to a certain degree, even though it is still rooted in the villains mad at Iron Man. I think the second one is a little less successful, even though I think there is some good good stuff between Peter and Jake Gyllenhaal, whatever that guy's name is. <laughs> <laughs> That's where my my big complaint is with this is Mysterio is a really good villain especially when you do the introduction where you fool the audience you you have him fool the public to thinking he's a hero kind of like the Riddler in the comics uh in Batman comics where he shows up and he's like I'm going to reveal the identity of the Batman I'm going to help you solve these crimes and Mysterio in this one is like I'm going to be the new Iron Man I'm like Iron Man meets Thor as I think Flash Thompson calls him and uh it works to a degree but then once you realize that He's doing this because Tony Stark 
fired him because he was too crazy with his holograms or something, it kind of starts falling apart. And I mean, that the reveal scene is great, especially when he's wearing the classic comic book onesie. He's not wearing like the armor and everything. Uh, you just see him in that classic onesie. The only thing missing is the cape and the fishbowl. And he's straight from the comics, which is fantastic. But his motivations really falter. And the, the climax falls a little flat for me too, just because I don't think they really drive home the, the use of the spider sense or the Peter Tingle, whatever you want to call it. I hold the spectacular Spider-Man as like the ultimate interpretation of Spider-Man from the comics and the Mysterio introduction in that series is peak. Like he, he like blindfolds himself and Peter kind of does the same thing. I think he like shuts his eyes or something in the climax. I haven't seen far from home in a while, but in the, in spectacular Spider-Man, he's just, he's going blind. He's just trusting his spider sense and he's fighting through his senses where peter in the climax is still kind of like he's looking at the hologram and then he like reaches out to the side to get uh quentin back jake gyllenhaal whatever it's like he's not fully trusting his spider sense it's just that his spider sense kicked in in that moment yeah and it it, that all all that gets to like a, a big issue i guess depending on how you feel about it that primarily the first of these two movies have which is that like regardless of anything else, the character of Iron Man looms large over these movies. Like the first movie is all about sort of Spider-Man feeling like he's in Iron Man's shadow and like kind of stepping out from that. Again, he finally becomes Spider-Man at the end of Homecoming, the first of three times. And then in the second movie, and this is understandable to a degree because it follows right after Endgame, it's all about, you know, the aftermath of Tony dying. But it is still that like, like the background radiation of these first two movies is the relationship with Tony Stark for better or worse. And like that feeds into the villains that feeds into like the character arc, like the, like the character arc in the second one is, gosh, do I need to be the new Iron Man? Do I want to be the new Iron Man? And it's like, why, why is that a question, man? <laughs> like you did this, you did this already. How do you guys feel about the suit um, I mean, we talked to Alex talked a little bit about his homemade suit, but like, how do you feel about him having uh, Jennifer Connelly as his AI and the suit having a kill mode and just like an interactive HUD system? I thought it was amusing in, in um, Homecoming, but I felt it was a bit too much, especially with the whole he has, you know, he literally a training wheels program. I think it was less used in Far From Home that I remember. It was mostly the Edith glasses. I don't think it was used, the AI voice was used at all in No Way Home, was it? I don't think they used it at all in uh, either sequel. Yeah, well, because there... that's because, like, like, yeah, like Alex said, in, the, in Far From Home, he had a giant space egg full of murder drones to talk to. But it did talk. It said, like, you know, targeting and stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah, is yeah. that not Jennifer Connelly? I can't remember. I know the the Iron Spider suit didn't have any voiceover. I think they didn't have enough time to introduce that with Infinity War being the introduction to the that version of the Iron Spider suit. And then in Far From Home, he he bounces between the the Homecoming suit and the Iron Spider suit until he makes the black and red suit, which that one doesn't have a, an AI in, built into it either. But I think it's mostly just Edith that he interacts with, at least as far as like an AI in Far From Home. It's it's one of those things that like like I said with with Civil War, it makes sense because of the way you had to introduce Spider-Man into these movies. It makes sense that like he's a kid 
he doesn't seem to be as poor as we have seen him in other movies traditionally but like he's a he's a relatively poor kid who doesn't who can't make like one of the fancy costumes everyone else is running around in so it makes sense that like he gets that from somebody to a certain degree and you know i'm not wild about the ai stuff like i don't mind it too much in homecoming because it's kind of it's kind of fun it's kind of cute it's kind of funny i really hate the kill the kill moan thing it's it's like a it's like a funny joke in homecoming and because Endgame, which is another movie I like a lot, is like really invested in like paying off a bunch of stuff from the mo- all the movies prior. You you put a moment in your movie where you have Peter Parker of all characters say, "Activate kill mode," and then a bunch of spike arms come out and kill a bunch of monsters. And that's a moment that like I just I hate with every fiber of my being. Yeah, that's a tough one to balance and justify, even for Peter Parker. Like even though they're they're mindless, weird orca monsters like they're still he's still intentionally killing things and people uh, yeah in, in, a, in some context people yeah you wrote a scene where you made peter parker say that and that's messed up as far as the, like the looks the costumes themselves i go i'm all over the place just because like one of the things that does also get me about these movies is that they're also really interested in doing suits that like reference comics over and over again so like you know you've got the you got the classic blue and red in Homecoming. You've got the sort of more Ditko thing from the end of Far From Home. Then you've also got like the Spider-Man Noir. You've got the thing where you're doing the Iron Spider. You've got the thing in No Way Home where you like are doing his Secret War outfit where like his he wears it inside out or whatever. I really miss him just having like, even if you change every movie, I miss him having like a consistent look. You know, this is only sort of related, but I, I hate the iron spider costume in all its forms i hate that the version that they land on is like the good black and red costume with that ugly gold spider on his chest sorry i Josh. like I, I like that i i like it, it grew on me it's not my favorite but it is i i like that one a lot i'm not trying to dunk on your mug but <laughs> just, oh, it, oh he's showing it off yep <laughs> we're in an audio only medium and he's showing it off this is like it's, three out of the last four episodes where I, I'm like showing something off that no one's ever going to see. It's like, it's fine. It's just like you you pretty much nailed the costume more or less with the, the original Homecoming suit, the original Civil War suit. And then you basically did it again at the end of Far From Home with the black and red costume. It just feels like the Iron Spider thing is like too busy. It's too too much and it's like it's it's also granted it's referencing a thing from the comics that i also hate i think it's bad there i think the movie version is better but i still don't like it very much the coloring needed to be a little bit better like the the black red and gold in the iron spider suit just it it was not a good look and the the spider symbol was a little too big which i mean again it's referencing the comics because that spider symbol is quite big too the iron spider suit i feel like that needed another pass before they approved uh, a, a look of that it all feels like it's so you can do the thing like like they do in the iron man movies where you know you see you have cgi spider-man but you want to you know paste tom holland's head over it for a while so then you don't have to worry about it animating him take off a mask it just goes away you know the weird nanotech stuff let's talk really quick about his side character tom holland sidekicks um you've got ned Leeds playing like the harry osborne role Anyone, again, uh, familiar with the comics would know that Ned Leeds eventually becomes the 
the hobgoblin um but that doesn't seem to be the case in anything that they're leading to with the mcu oh in this context he's playing he's really playing more of the the ganky role from like miles morales like he looks true he looks like that kid from those comics they just gave him a different name for whatever reason they probably want to use genki eventually and then uh you have zendaya as his michelle jones watson or mj uh which i i think she does a really good job with what they're asking her to do but i don't know that they really give her a whole lot other than like you're dark and weird go with it yeah they both they both work for me ned is just a very he seems sincere and happy and just excited to be there which really works for me um and you know michelle being you know this version of mj really works for me as well they give her a lot more agency and ability to um has discovery and presence i guess well i just said agency than uh gwen stacy or mary jane ever got which having rewatched the spider-man movies uh recently i was like wow really they didn't give mj anything to do other than i tried out for some stuff and now i'm captured and i tried out for some stuff and now i'm captured but in love (laughs) mj she gets uh michelle she gets to actually have her own quirky personality which the first one is just i'm here in study hall being because i like seeing people at their worst moments and stuff like that which i'm like that's not really personality but at least that's something that i know you enjoy doing and something that is funny and also you can you enjoy drawing people and i especially do like the second movie she had basically figured out yeah something's up with you yeah it makes sense you're spider-man yeah i think i think mj especially is a particularly like for this version of spider-man where he is kind of like gee whiz kind of like i said soft marshmallow boy which is not bad you know traditionally at least in the early stuff in like you know stanley john romita jr comics where she is she's challenging peter parker who is more of like a more straight laced all-american kid by that point but she's so she's challenging him by being like the wild party girl who's like come on out like come party and peter's like oh but i gotta get aunt may's medicine and here they're they're kind of doing that same thing but instead because they're not they're not they're not playing peter so quite so straight it's more like she sees through all the bs right where it's she's like just weird and like kind of um off-putting and confrontational at least at first so she's like keeping him on his toes that way so like in a way it's it's an interesting little like way of interpreting that sort of early relationship that i really like um, it's it it is weird that they that they change her name just for the the reveal at the end of the homecoming. Like you could just call her MJ. That's okay. Mm-hmm. And Ned's fine. Like one of the one of the things that that No Way Home does really well, I think, is the recognizing them as like a trio by that point, um, where it, they really are sort of a unit. Like Peter Spider Man, but they are they're a team they're an ensemble yeah that's actually one of the things i really enjoyed about no way home is that uh, at least from my perspective early on in the movie it felt like ned was kind of being a third wheel and he didn't quite realize it but as the movie went on you just kind of realize that yeah they're just three really good friends and peter and mj just happen to be dating that's a really smart recognition that that you have this cast that works really well together that like seem like they're at least friendly in real life like i, well, I mean i guess you know, Tom Holland and Zendaya seem to be 
dating. So it's like, you know, there, there's some real world chemistry there that they really capitalize on in the second and third movie, especially. Alex, anything to add? No, I dig them. <laughs> no, that they're fine. All right. So um, then moving into the final act here, um, I, I, we can kind of just skip over Infinity where we talked about the kill mode and all this sort of stuff with Endgame. He, he gets enough play it's mostly just so he can keep being tony stark's little sidekick throughout infinity war which again i think that's the biggest one of the biggest sins that marvel did is at at the end of far from home i really wanted that aunt may discussion because i've said this before matt you've heard me say this i've said this before on the podcast there's a really great issue in ultimate spider-man once may finds out that he's spider-man i think there's like one action piece where he's retelling a story of a confrontation he had but everything else is just a conversation at the table. And yeah. it, it's a it's an amazing issue. And we didn't get that in Far From Home or in any follow-up movie. It just jumps from homecoming into we're working together to raise charity for feast. It is kind of a it is kind of a bummer just based on the way that um these movies are made because because they because they come out twice, three times a year, and the solo movies come out once every two or three years in between all that there really is a lot of like filling in that you kind of have to do on your own where like in in terms of the the timeline like the homecoming happens and then maybe a year or so later we are going into infinity war right so like all that stuff that would have been great to see has long passed just because of the virtue of their movies and not like a tv show or a comic book which is something i've noticed elsewhere too like Avengers to Avengers Age of Ultron Avengers 2 where like you get the sense that like they they have become a team and like they have these adventures but most of them we don't get to see because it's been three years since the last movie and we're focused on this thing now so you just kind of have to fill in the gaps a little bit and sometimes that is annoying yeah because the only the other sin that I give a big sin that I give these movies is that we never get Tom Holland and Chris Evans, Captain America working together, really. Chris Evans throws Mjolnir so he, Tom Holland's Spider-Man can fly away uh, when he's getting mauled by the killer orcas. But other than that, like they really don't interact much outside of Civil War. And I think that that's really a detriment to the universe, the, the Marvel universe, not our universe. Like it doesn't matter to our universe. But I, I think that's that, that again is like a really nice character moment where you could have had Steve and Peter ha- sit there and have a discussion about like right and wrong. And again, like Peter never really knows what's going on with the Accords. And as far as we know, he's never signed the Accords. What He's brought in during this event and yet he has no real follow through with it. Yeah. And that's a thing where part of it is because these other movies, the move, by the time he comes in, the next Avengers movies are Infinity War an endgame right so like he's got a bigger role in infinity war than he does in endgame but like these movies are like they are really invested in doing something else like they're they're they got they got stuff to do too a lot of moving pieces but what ends up happening is the thing that we talked about a little bit with his first two movies where really the only relationship he has on the avengers is with tony stark like he's not really he's like not really part of the team he doesn't really like know any of these people in a way that we at least have seen like the core cast interact in the first two movies. So it's a thing where there's another thing where there's a lot of stuff that would have been nice to see, but the movies are just, we got to do this. And like Spider-Man's here, but like 
this is what we're doing. So like he's off doing this, Captain America's off doing this, never the twain shall meet. And it's it is a shame. Yeah, it does almost make you wonder if the way Disney is writing these films is that with the expectation that we can't have too much investment with the other characters because we might lose the rights at any moment. So we'll just put a little bit here, a little bit there, and reset at the end of each movie like you've mentioned a few times, Matt. Every the end of each movie, he's become Spider-Man. Okay, cool. We get one more movie. All right, let's do it a little bit more. But he's by Spider-Man at the end of the movie. <laughs> well, I think there's a case to be made that, you know, we can get into it if we're going to talk deeper into No Way Home. You, I think there's an argument to be made that like that is at least partially a secondary motivation of the way that movie plays out, for better or worse. It's it's not lost on me that at the end of that movie, Tom Holland Spider-Man is alone and no one knows who he is. So like if if there's another issue where Sony suddenly can't pull in Benedict Cumberbatch again, no problem. We already we we took care of that. Exactly. Yeah, that that's that's 100 percent I think they worked backwards from that where they went, okay, no one can know who Peter Parker Spider-Man is by the end of this movie. How do we do that? Right, because so, that was that was the end of his contract, and they've recently announced that they've re-upped him for another like five movies. So moving into No Way Home at this point, um, I don't mean to steer the conversation. I, I do want to start wrapping up here soonish. Uh, I have a few really early quips like there's 10 the first 10 minutes of this movie i just it raised so many questions like when peter's getting interrogated at the police station the police officer's like oh peter uh not peter uh nick fury's been off world for a year how would he have sent you on a mission in europe how do they know this when did nick fury (laughs) when did people know that nick fury is not actually dead among other things that is something i have been wondering about since like wandavision are the mcu movies being actively filmed and in theaters for everyone to know because it's like oh well he died here oh your brother died over here oh this happened over here how do you know that darcy how do you how does everyone know nick fury's been off world for a year the common cop knows that but peter parker does not i thought he was (laughs) avenger adjacent what is this like oh everybody showed up at the battle the battle in the wasted field where avengers campus used to be everybody had it who where was the camera filming that for everybody to know me broadcast worldwide i have they have to answer this damn thing the wandavision thing is so weird because like i thought the same thing where that was necessary exposition if for some reason somebody stumbled in or only watched some of these movies but it was also like when have we ever seen the vision be a public figure (laughs) Like it's one of of those things where like we, we are to assume that there's a level of public knowledge of the Avengers. Like there is in the comics where they're like celebrities. And she even makes a comment. They recast her brother. Everybody knows what her brother looks like on site. (laughs) (laughs) He was literally a part of the, he was a blur part of the group until he was a body. What the heck? And the, and the, uh, the cops, the cop scene that you're mentioning, Josh falls into that, but it, that's the thing that I'm willing to forgive a little bit just because it's like, it's a little sloppy, but it is a thing where like, okay, there's no reason Peter Parker doesn't play that card because he thinks that's what happened, but we have to like get rid of that right away because that's not what this movie's about. There's not going to be a scene where we f- some somebody figures out, oh, he's, that was an alien or something. It, it is sloppy. It doesn't bother me that much, but I get why it would bother somebody because it's like, 
okay whatever don't worry about it yeah they just apparently someone just makes really amazing debriefing reports i i just don't know uh but yeah that was in the first 10 minutes of no way home i was just like how does this beat cop know that nick fury hasn't been on planet for a year He's a detective that's not a beat cop <laughs> but also like when did when did the public know that nick fury is not dead because as far as i have been assuming in the mcu nick fury has been presumed dead since the winter soldier well and it's it's weird also that on, on that same wavelength that um nick fury would be a public figure at all right like he's a secret agent like he there's probably some awareness of who he is but it's not like yeah because alexander pierce was supposed to be the face of shield yeah it reminds me of this thing if you if you've played any of that not very good avengers game you know the whole story focuses on like uh, kamala khan ms marvel and there's a scene in the beginning where she's like you know she's she's the, the big avengers fangirl and there's a scene at the beginning where she's on the helicarrier and she's like geeking out over like Iron Man and Thor and Captain America, but also Maria Hill and Nick Fury. And I'm it, like, that's like you being a fan of like the Department of Interior. <laughs> like, why are you like such a big fan of all these, all these people <laughs> that are just government stooges, you know? But yeah, No Way Home, again, that's like one of my biggest complaints from the, the movie, which again, it, it's, it's a non-starter. It doesn't really affect the movie. And it's more an issue that comes with having a connected universe. But No Way Home is fantastic by all accounts. It is probably a top three Spider-Man movie of the eight that we've had. Nine, if you count into the Spider-Verse. We have to count into the Spider-Verse because it's the best one. Yes, Into the Spider-Verse is the best one. Uh, that is a non-issue with, I think, any of us here. We get... Wrong. <laughs> <laughs> I, sorry, Alex. I know Amazing Spider-Man 2 is your favorite. Well, you had part of that right but it's spider-man 2 is the best one then probably into the amazing spider-man 2 that's what you have said several times (laughs) damn you and your editing of my my (laughs) words that like rap rock song that plays whenever electro is getting mad in amazing spider-man 2 like the techno itsy bitsy spider yeah man that's cinema right there the rhino fight payoff I like that moment, actually. <laughs> I, and again, these aren't necessarily even the reasons that the movie is so good, but we get a little bit of a cameo and a little bit of a nod to Matt Murdock being Peter Parker's lawyer, which again, that doesn't necessarily pay off, but it doesn't need to. We get a really bad Doctor Strange wig. And I think that was really interesting that Stephen Strange is actually not the Sorcerer Supreme. And I think that is going to be something that really plays into Multiverse of Madness. Uh, like there's going to be some kind of lineage thing where he can't ascend to the illuminati or something because he's not the sorcerer supreme i'm really curious about that because that's a thing like far from home does this thing where they open their movie on this funny like kids edited montage about endgame right and then they're like this big serious moment and everyone's calling it the blip and it's a joke it's like absolutely a joke but now that's just what they call it in these movies i blame alex for that (laughs) <laughs> he he raised a big stink because the novelization of i think endgame called it the decimation and yep. he was like half the world got knocked out not 10 percent." and i think alex is the reason for that so somebody if you don't like the blip it's like, alex's fault somebody oh, heard that and they were like we got to change the script man it's like you but actually like, know decimate relates back to the roman legions where they would kill 10 percent of their of it it actually is not half fine 
flip. I mean, while we're while we're talking stuff that's going to get cut out anyway, do you guys have any other topics you want to talk about? I mean, we could we could go off for. On I'm all sorry, sorts that was mean. that was that was a funny bit, Alex, and I made it mean. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, that made me laugh. It was funny <laughs> as hell. It stays in. <laughs> anyway, so like Far From Home does this this obvious joke that becomes like the thing they reference in like everything. So I was so curious where like that moment happens in No Way Home, where I was like, oh, that's like a funny joke where like he's hanging out in his sweatpants and like now is that that's a thing now they have to deal with in the next Doctor Strange movie because these guys keep making these funny jokes everyone else has to be like I guess it's called the blip now I guess our movie's about Doctor Strange not being the source of supreme or whatever it's all about the connected universe too so I mean it, it's still world building to an to an extent um but the main reason No Way Home pays off so well is because it culminates a story between universes we never thought would actually connect with Tobey Maguire's Spider-Man and Andrew Garfield's Spider-Man coming into this universe with a few of their villains as well and just completely impacting Peter's life and making a, a pretty great adventure. It kind of falls into another issue that people have made with Tom Holland's Spider-Man where he doesn't really get to do his own thing. He keeps getting wrapped up into Avengers issues or Tony Stark issues. And now in this one, it's a multiverse issue. Um, but he kind of caused the issue as well because he interrupted Dr. Strange's spell. But it's also in Dr. Strange for not really taking a moment to be like, how do we make this spell work? Or what do you want this spell to really do? Yeah, and I, I admit um, for a couple of reasons, like once the news about this movie started coming out where like they're casting old actors, there's rumors about old Spider-Man coming back. I was really skeptical, mostly because like, you know, we saw the Spider-Verse thing done I would say better than this movie does it, if I'm being honest, um, even though I quite like this movie. And also like the thing I really want to see out of this cast, and I don't know if we ever will at this point, is just like a movie with Spider-Man doing Spider-Man stuff that's not wrapped up in like how he feels about his relationship to another character from another movie. Like I think these movies for whatever reason feel, have felt the need to like be super connected, which is why like Iron Man shows up, Doctor Strange shows up as opposed to just like being really good Spider-Man movies, which I think they also are. But I think there's a degree to which we haven't gotten that Tom Holland movie where he's like just being Spider-Man. Um, so I was pretty skeptical at first. And also I'm just kind of like an old cranky shithead at this point. So like I'm skeptical about everything. But, you know, it it turned me around watching it. Like it is a great movie. And even though I think the the criticisms of it maybe not being fully motivated by Peter as a character or not without merit. I'm just a man. I'm a, I'm a man who was a younger man when Spider-Man first came out in 2002. Seeing it in the movie theater, I think uh, with a bunch of people, you included Josh. So like there are moments, I've been watching these movies my entire life. There are moments in that movie where I like, I came close to feeling an emotion because they referenced an old movie. You know, I'm not made of stone. I was skeptical, but I was, I really had a good time. Uh, at the movies, even though I'm still very scared of getting a deadly virus at the movies, but I, I did it. For Peter Parker, I'll do it. Oh, it just worked for me. I cried. Let me see, three times. I cried when uh, when when Toby walked through that portal, because that is what I really like about his version of Peter Parker, is how just, he's very earnest, nerdy, want to try, and so he walks through, and he's like, oh, you guys know Peter, I, I just feel drawn to him to go help him. And I've been kind of looking for, around for you guys. And I'm like, that is so you. You're just an <laughs> idiot who would watch the news and be like, I have to help. <laughs> His moment 
at the end when he and Doc Ock have their moment together. And there's just still that love between the two scientists because, you know, Doc Ock has been kind of a reset and he's back to being good Doc Ock after they apparently all figure out how to create serums to fix each other. Where he's just like, oh, my Peter, my boy, you've grown up. You've done well for you. That just got me because Doc Ock still remembers that dinner they had together, which was like two weeks ago in his world. (laughs) But it's been 20 years for us. It just works for me. Yeah. And and the spider bros all teaming up together and actually figuring out, hey, we can work together. We can fight together. We can talk to each other. We can be our own team. That just, it got me so good. The chemistry between the three of them is fantastic. I, I love the moment where they're trying to figure out like what designation each of them have. Like Tom Holland is Peter one because it's his universe. And then just Peter two, Peter three. And just the way Andrew Garfield sells, he's like, Peter three. He's just so excited about it. I saw something recently on Twitter that really, really hit home for me with um, no pun intended with these Spider-Man home, whatever movies where we're introduced to Andrew Garfield's Spider-Man. He is fully decked out in his Spider-Man suit. And then we get introduced to Tobey Maguire's Spider-Man. He comes through looking like Peter Parker. And it it plays up to the fact that Andrew Garfield was a much better Spider-Man, or at least his Spider-Man was more well-written and more Spider-Man-y, whereas Tobey Maguire was more well-written as Peter Parker and his Spider-Man was largely silent. So it makes sense that he's coming through as Peter Parker. And then when we see Tom Holland, he's mask off, but still in the suit. And it, it just, it works because again, he's blended. He's a good blend of the two. And we get a little bit of a catch up between the characters where they reveal their tragedies and everything that makes them become Spider-Man again. Yeah. The, the moments where they're all just together just works so well. Like it seems that writers put effort into making it effortless, which is, which works because out of nowhere, it's just like, okay, we're about to go ready for battle. Okay. All right. All right. I'm going to start distributing web fluid. And he's like, what the hell is web fluid? <laughs> yeah. There's a lot of nice little moments like that, yeah. like little payoffs that, you know, aren't like necessary, but are really nice and kind of enhance the, enhance the thing a bit. That in fight at the end where they're all, you know, all the villains are working well. Doc Ock actually turns out working with them where they're all going and fighting and has two of has two moments that I absolutely love with Andrew Garfield. One, well, sorry, two moments, one I love and one I hate with Andrew Garfield. The one I love is him saving MJ and getting redemption for not saving Mary Jane. And him, that is just so saving wonderfully Gwen. done. Yeah, sorry. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's a thing that like they it totally sells it just by the acting there's not like they don't they don't like hang a hang a uh, light on it with dialogue or anything right it's just like if you know the movie and he's he, he referenced it earlier but like if you know the movie you just see it on his face which is like chef's kiss great and then the part that i hate with him at the end is they're getting their moments with their villains and he gets his moment with electro and electro sees him out of his you know with his mask off and he's like oh you're just a kid i'm like no he's 38 he does not look like a kid <laughs> You can't do that. You can't be like, oh, you're just like, no, he's 38, man. He looks 38. Yeah, he's not fresh when you fought him the first time. (laughs) (laughs) He is not fresh faced out of high school. The thing I love about this movie, and this is like, it's not not a condemnation of other Spider-Man movies or like other superhero movies, but because so many of these, these movies are like an outgrowth of like action movies as opposed to like a genre of their own, they have, there's a specific formula, like, the good guy goes against the bad guy the bad guy dies in the end 
because that's how you know the movie's over because the bad guy died or was captured or whatever. And this movie is very much about like all the Spider-Man movies did that because that's the, that's the kind of movies they are. This is a movie about specifically, very specifically, Peter Parker, Spider-Man, saving people who want to kill him regardless of the personal cost. And it, it's, it's, it's metatextual. It's also very Spider-Man. And it's like, it's something you, we haven't really seen out of these movies before where it's like, you know, there's no real danger to Peter. He could just send them back if he wants to. But, you know, once he knows that they're going to go die, even if it's not his problem, like he has to do it because that's what being Spider-Man is. I found that that plot fascinating because, it, I mean, it's true they're going to go die, but they're not necessarily dying because Spider-Man did something. Goblin kills himself because Spider-Man jumps out of the way. Doc Ock sacrifices himself to keep the world from blowing up. Sandman, I always found that interesting because he doesn't die. He just takes off. So I find it interesting that he's fixing them so that they don't have that fate. And I really dug that because it reminded me of the reason why I elevate the Doctor Strange movie so high, so highly up is that he end up, ends up killing somebody he doesn't really mean to in the astral plane. And he's like, I am not a killer. I'm a doctor. And his end game, his end battle is to outwit by sacrificing himself hundreds of times yep. versus I'm now going to kill to, to finish this. And that's why the Doctor Strange movie, I put it so high up in my MCU movies because it's not this villain ends up killing themselves, blowing themselves up, the, our hero does it, or like, you know, the Batman movies where I don't really kill you, but I just let you die. I ultimately came around to liking that, especially because that gives us the amazing payoff moment. It's Green Goblin and Spider-Man and Holland Spider-Man, where he's so angry, the other two Spider-Men see him beating the hell out of the Goblin and about to kill him with his own glider, much like what happened with Toby. And Toby steps in and stops that. And I loved that. That I, it gave us this big payoff of we're saving them all and we're saving you from yourself. I think that was the one thing that really, I, I think I needed them to take a step back from him actually taking that lunge into trying to get at goblin because the minute he even just makes that movement he has given into that anger and that that's not quite where peter parker like that's crossing that line even for peter parker the fact that peter two toby mcguire spider-man comes into half and has to stop him i think that is it's poignant to a, a degree but it's again it's also they have crossed the line where Peter has decided, yes, I'm willing to take a life. He's grateful that he didn't do it in the end, but he had, he had made that decision. Like, yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to kill this guy. Well, yeah, but it's not like it's the first time in this, in the MCU, he hasn't killed people. You know, he activated kill mode. (laughs) Touche. Why he doesn't do it this time. I don't know. He's got, he's got that big ass gold spider on his chest. (laughs) Uh, That that looked grew on me. I'm sorry. (laughs) Okay, so it took me a little while to realize that he's wearing that suit inside out because all the tubing and like electrical and like mechanics because it got stained by green or whatever. If that's on the inside, doesn't that chafe? Almost certainly. But it's an opportunity for them to make it look kind of like a different suit he wore once in the comics. Right. And people can now shut up about him wearing a black suit. They don't have to worry about it. Uh, Spoiler alert, at the very end, he's going to wear the black suit. I was I was surprised because I was like for some reason in that movie I was like oh they're you you know you watch Venom two 
And it, that's the post credit scene where he's suddenly in the MCU. I was like, oh, that's just, that's just how they're going to get Venom. They're just going to teleport that guy into the movies now. So them finding a way to like do that and also not was pretty funny to me. And it's also, you know, Danny Rojas is Venom. Hmm. I do that's like that wife. a lot. That's my wife's joke. I can't, can't take credit for that. I'm sorry. Venom is life. <laughs> also, this movie is great because it takes us, it takes the, it does a thing that the MCU does to lesser and greater successes where it's taking like the basic structure of a story from the comics and then doing its own thing with it. And it's doing that here a little bit with One More Day, which is the story in the comics where Peter and Mary Jane make a deal with the devil basically to erase their marriage from history to save Aunt May, who in the comics universe is a frail old lady who's gonna die any moment anyway. But it's basically a way to do a big reboot and it's a terrible story and it's awful. But this is like taking that spin and doing something really interesting with it, where it's like not just about facilitating a comics reboot, but it's about like to angle in the multiverse. And then you're using that to sort of give yourself the Peter, the Spider-Man moment at the end where he like does the right thing, but to like great personal sacrifice. And it clicks in so many ways that I was not expecting it to. Like even, even though I like was fairly certain I was going to enjoy myself at the movies, I was not certain that it was going to like just work on so many levels for me in so many ways so really quickly um we we need to start wrapping up here we're getting close to that time frame where i i, I want to try and keep these episodes shorter peter parker essentially no longer exists in people's minds people do not remember him he exists on paper somewhere clearly because he can get his ged but what do you guys feel about him deciding not to reveal himself to MJ and Ned or like even just reintroduce himself and try and like become part of the group again. I don't know. I just have no clue how they're going to properly do that. I'm sure there's going to be some magic timey-wimey stuff that's going to happen and it's going to be like, oh, I remember you mostly or, or like there's something innately drawn to you. But if they stick to to trying to keep it grounded it's going to be super creepy to have to have him show up and be like oh yeah by the way we went to high school together and we're friends and i'm actually peter <laughs> parker and all this other stuff and by the way spider-man still exists and i'm spider-man took out my suit <laughs> so i'm hoping they don't do that what we're it's probably going to end up being is that i imagine they're going to jump ahead like two or three years because they have to jump ahead and it's been like i've been going to the same coffee shop and getting coffee from her for like two or three years and we're kind of friends and she's going to find I'm Spider-Man and Ned's going to find I'm Spider-Man roughly about 45 minutes into the next movie. Well, she's she and Ned have to go off to MIT. So like, is Peter going to follow them to MIT once he gets his GED? Or uh, again, are they going to try and like isolate him and have him uh, again, going back to the ultimate comics? Uh, there's a moment where Peter has decided, like, I'm just going to be Spider-Man all the time, like screw everything else. And then like Black Cat gets introduced and he kind of falls in love with the idea of just constantly heroing about with her first of all I, th I think the moment itself is one of those things where like in the theater i was like ah just just give her that weird little letter you wrote man that i'm sure is going to go over well it's kind of what i was getting at before where like the thing that you that peter wants to do but ultimately like knows he can't have because it will endanger people or whatever that's a very spider-man thing so like i was like as a someone who's been reading spider-man comics my entire life i was like okay that's a really cool moment and it's not usually how they they do that kind of thing it's usually a little more abstract where like i gotta get aunt may's medicine but across town doc ock is tearing up the city or whatever but i thought that was a really interesting way to do it as far as like the next movie goes i think it really depends like 
my bet is if whatever deal Sony and Disney have continues, they undo it in the first half hour of the movie. And maybe not totally, but enough where it's like, there was a thing in the Flash comics in the 90s where like that basically happened to him where like everybody forgot his identity. And all he had to do was like tell someone and suddenly they remember all the stuff they forgot. So like maybe it'll just be a thing where like Dr. Strange is like, by the way, I figured out, take your mask off in front of Mary Jane, click, she'll remember everything. If there is like some kind of falling out again, I think then it then it's just Holland is the only guy that goes forward where they'll bring in maybe a, a Gwen Stacy or maybe a black cat or something as like the romantic love interest. And then, you know, there's a ton of Spider-Man supporting cast members they could bring in if they wanted to. Um, but I would bet that I don't I, I don't think we're going to see a movie where this is like a major factor in a, in an MCU, quote unquote, official MCU Spider-Man movie. I think they probably undo it pretty quick is what I is what I would suspect. Yeah, because they, they have to be building towards like a young Avengers team with Ms. Marvel and Kate Bishop and stuff. So maybe they because they've never known him. It, it's a, ref, a refresher kind of thing because you're not going to have Tom Holland in the mask the entire time either. Like that's just not how sony works really with their spider-man he has to have his mask off well none of none of them do right because like that's why you hire a famous actor who looks who's an attractive handsome pretty person so they can be on the giant screen and all the posters right like that's that's why Raimi spider-man loses his mask so often or gets his lenses punched out or whatever so you can see Tobey mcguire's pretty blue eyes <laughs> all right alex any final thoughts no no, I, I I enjoyed it. I cried. So part of the reason why I cried is, you know, Toby's back. And part of the reason why I lowered my threshold of liking into the Spider-Verse is they killed Toby in that movie. <laughs> yes, it was voiced by Chris Pine, but he admits that he was doing the Spider-Man 3 walk and then they beat him to death. <laughs> well, I'm glad you didn't have any final thoughts. <laughs> <laughs> so it's a we'll... wonderful movie. I'm glad I watched it at home on Prime last week. <laughs> Yeah, if you haven't, it's on VOD already. It'll be on uh, home video, Blu-ray, 4K, whatever next week. I wish we had an Amazon affiliate link or something so we can get a little bit of a kickback, but we don't. So just go and buy it and enjoy it. Give give those multi-billion dollar companies more of your money because uh, it is a fantastic movie um, regardless of the the corporations behind it. The, the people that made it clearly enjoy them and they seem like decent enough folk for Hollywood people. We'll wrap it up there. We don't really put out either of your social media, so there's no social media there to put out. You can find me at Josh underscore Scar. You can follow the podcast at Talking Smack Pod, uh, both of those on Twitter. You can email us at tsmackpod at gmail.com. We're on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Good Pods, Podchaser. Please like, subscribe, review. We appreciate any and all feedback. Alex, Matt, thank you guys so much for joining. Yeah, thank you. It was a good time. Thanks for listening to me loudly nitpick these movies for an hour and a half. <laughs> I mean, we're we're going to be nitpicking the Batman soon enough um, once that hits HBO Max. So um, oh, I think I have um, one of our friends from the For Real podcast. We haven't decided what his call sign will be because he goes by Matt on his podcast. Uh, so we need to figure that one out because that's not going to work here we'll have matt two and matt three <laughs> matt three <laughs> yeah you're matt for that. uh so we'll, we'll figure something out but um we are definitely going to be doing a batman review in, in the coming weeks because that that'll be out on hbo max soon 
but thanks everyone for listening again. And Alex, who do we have for the theme music this week? Oh, you know, we got Dan Elfman on this. Oh, why not Michael Giacchino? He's a better composer at this point. Toby, Toby, enjoy the Toby music. <laughs> the elf, the Elfman is so iconic though. Mm-hmm. Fine. I mean, James Horner did the music for Amazing Spider-Man, rest in peace, uh, both um... that franchise and James Horner. But whatever, I guess Danny Elfman, roll the theme I... music. <laughs>